Hi, this is Victor Mattis. Thanks for listening to the weekly substandard. Not only do we have a fancy new logo, we've got our own page on iTunes. So be sure to type in weekly substandard to find us on iTunes or go visit us on the web at tws.io slash substandard and be sure to subscribe. Now in the words of Lowe's Theaters, sit back and relax. Enjoy the show. Substandard. No, this is not Nina Blackwood from MTV. This is Victor Manis recovering from a nasty bout of laryngitis. I am here in the studio with Jonathan V. Last and Sonny Bunch. It's good to see you both after a week hiatus. Jonathan, how have you been? I've been great. Two of my kids got up at 2.30 in the morning last night and were just telling each other stories and then were upset when I informed them that this is not allowed. That's lovely. And also, on that note... Sunny Bunch, welcome back. Where have you been? Uh, I was in Reno last week, uh, which was very nice. I went to Lake Tahoe. I paid my respects to Fredo, uh, and did a little, did very little, a, a bit of gambling, and then um, sat around with the in-laws a lot. It was fun. You know, the great thing about having the uh, sort of recovering from laryngitis is I get to do my Frankie Potentially impressions. Uh, uh, wait, can you explain <laughs> to me the MTV VJ reference? Yes, from Nina before? Blackwood. One of Who the is original... Nina Blackwood? Oh my gosh, she was around when you were born. Mm. She started actually maybe two years before you were even born, Sonny, and she was one of the original VJs, but her voice is like this. And she is actually on uh, satellite radio now, and if you hear her on the 80s on 8 channel, it's like this. That's great. And, you know, That's so great. it was really sexy in the 80s, and now it's kind of just, you know, smoky scary. Uh, but anyway, as I was saying, uh, it allows me to get my Frank Patangeli impression here about you, Sonny, being up there in the Sierra Madre, drinking your champagne cocktails. That's right. Yeah, Thank that's you. good. It's going to be that's one of good. those Thank episodes. You. Thank you. Um, and, and as you know, people here uh, have been uh, recovering still from the election that we so uh, presciently sort of predicted. Uh, the outcome, if you listen to uh, the other episode. The previous episode. Oh, my gosh. Last time on the we, Weekly Substandard. We really nailed it on the head. It was scary. <laughs> it was like Nostradamus. Uh, but uh, anyway, people are preparing for, of course, the arrival of Donald J. Trump and the transition team. Uh, but as you know, Sonny, it's not the only arrival that we're preparing for, is it? No. Uh, well, arrival. Do you have a team of monkeys who sits around writing these transitions yes, for it's you. All the way I, 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 I spent weeks on the segways. Yeah, uh, I'm with JBL. You need new monkeys. Uh, the the uh, so arrival is actually it's been in theaters for two weekends now. Uh, we're we're holding over for another because somebody was too sick to do this. Cough, Victor. 
you know, it's been going around. I just want to point that out. And, you know, <clears throat> Swift got it. Mike Warren got it. Granted, all three of us were tricky for the same solo cup. Maybe that didn't help. Yeah, this is why you got to stop spitting in each other's mouths. Uh, so, Arrival in theaters now. Uh, everyone should go see it. It's probably at the top of my list uh, of movies of the year. It stars Amy Adams as a linguist who must help the United States government solve the language riddle of a, a an alien invasion of sorts. Um, they aliens have come to town and they they want to ex- explain some things to us and we don't know how to talk to them. But we also don't know how to talk with each other, the humans. Uh, and it's it's partly about you know different nations not trusting each other, language barriers, empathy, learning. To be uh, better citizens of the world, that stuff is ooey and gooey and bad. But what's good is the, uh, the, the, the way the film is structured, and I don't want to give too much of it away, um, but it is really more of a personal story about Amy Adams uh, living her life and uh, uh, the ways in which um, sadness and tragedy makes us complete humans. Jonathan, you were going to say something here. I'm just glad that we have a movie with this message because I feel like here in America today we do so much hearing but not enough listening. Yes. Now, uh, Sonny, tell, tell, tell us, uh, who, are, who is the villain really in this movie? The villain is uh, a lack of understanding. It's really more of a concept. Well, than, you know, uh, I, I, I you know, saw person. the movie. With my eight-year-old son. Sorry. I know it's kind of, you know, G-rated material for him these days. But I went to see it. And uh, anyway, I came away thinking that the enemy in this uh, movie was right-wing radio. It is. Well, you know, this is one of these things that, like, six months ago I would have been really kind of annoyed by. And, you know, like, oh, you know, right-wing radio doesn't have the ability to, like, make soldiers want to blow aliens up on their own and contravene orders. But, you know, <laughs> but uh, I, I am, I'm going to tone that uh, criticism of the film back a little bit because, frankly, these these last few Well, you know, months, I, at so. first I was worried uh, about uh, giving away the ending, uh, but since I actually have no idea how it ended, uh, I think that's a safe bet. I'm still waiting for the future me to tell the present me how it ended. How do you mm. like that? Mm. I hope that didn't require a spoiler alert. I don't know. It doesn't matter. What does it matter? Nothing matters anymore. So you understood the ending is what you're saying? Yes. I'm not going to explain it to the audience because that that would, in fact, require I, a spoiler alert. I but just don't, don't, I'm just going to like, what do you think happened? Was it, do you, do you think that it was like I, a I, dream? I appreciate, Does, no, did, no, 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 no. Did, but, did Amy Adams wake up in the shower and you were like, oh, oh Dallas, okay. Yes, no. It was, uh, I appreciate the flashbacks and I thought I understood the concept of the flash forward, but there seems to be something going on here more than that because it's affecting the flash present. If mm. that makes any sense, mm. uh, and, and I don't know how to read those circles. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. even at the end of the movie, I don't you understand. You, the didn't, you weren't able to understand no. the squidding. Squidding? No, I don't. I'm the sorry. aliens in this movie, uh, for people who haven't seen it yet, look basically like giant uh, squids, and they squirt their ink onto the glass, and they make little, little drawings, and like the little squiggles at the end represent like life or nuclear Armageddon or you know whatever. Well, the giant squid is only the most terrifying animal on Earth. So I would trust an alien who showed up here. You know, like a squid. you know, all of Jonathan you... would have been that soldier listening to the, the radio and then taking his orders yeah. from them. Yeah. Squid uh, are cannibals. Do you know that? Like, they'll just eat each other. If you're, like, fishing and you catch a squid on the line, like, the other squid will just be like, ah, and jump right on and eat it. And, and John, I know you're sort of a squid expert, Jonathan. Isn't it true there's only one thing that's non-digestible in a squid? The beak. 
the beak, yes. They don't have a mouth. They have a giant claw-like uh, beak, almost like the beak of a parrot. Uh, yes. And it just doesn't decompose at all. Uh, no. So they will, the reason we know about you, you, you just wound me up to make me embarrass myself again. But you know what? I'm just going to, no shame, no judgments, go forward. Uh, so when the giant squid, which is one, as I said, the most terrifying animal on the planet, the reason we've never seen one alive, uh, a fully grown giant squid alive. So the reason we have estimates of their size is because they have found the beaks of them inside the bellies of dead sperm whales. Because the sperm whale is the only thing which can hunt and kill them. That itself sounds very scary. That would be a great movie. You should have a movie about a guy hunting a sperm whale. And maybe a book. Well, that too, maybe. Like a book. Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's a start with a movie first. Okay. Like most most great classics, they start with movies wow. like Romeo and Juliet, and then they move on to. I mean, what is a know, book but a, a script book. in uh, okay. in in well, uh, I guess you know. Would, would you consider uh, devolved arrival? Would you consider arrival study to be one of your favorite all time alien invasion movies? And if not, what else do you like? Uh, well, it's it's a very interesting movie. In that it is kind of like um, uh, contact, but more artsy, uh, and it is it more artsy, more than artsy, contact? more way more artsy <laughs> than car- contact, way more artsy. Uh, but it, and it and it has been sold kind of as this like action thriller, which it's not that at all. It's not it's not that at all. I don't know if it's my favorite alien invasion flick. You know, I'm I'm it, when I'm when I'm gonna sit down and throw in an alien invasion flick, it's gonna be like a an action adventure type movie. It's going to be an Independence Day or, you know, uh, War of the Worlds or something like that. Which 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 one? We get to Independence Day. You're garbage. You're a garbage no, I'm human with Jonathan being. on that. that oh was my too god, crazy. you're both garbage. That was too crazy. The uh, maybe War maybe, of the Worlds. maybe this is just because I'm a little bit younger than you. You know, I saw it in the movie theaters. This was like a formative cinematic experience. When you were three, I think, at the time. <laughs> the uh, which you're of course referring to uh, Tom Cruise War of the Worlds, not the Orson Welles uh, War of the Worlds. No, not the radio broadcast War of yeah. the Worlds. But there was That's a movie. not what I throw in. There was no, a movie. No, there was a movie. The yeah, there was a movie. Uh, not an Orson Welles movie, but uh, and I, I am referring to the Steven Spielberg War of the Worlds. Though. How about you? Pretty John? good. How about you? Actually, John? I, I thought the Steven Spielberg. Spielberg, yeah. Cruise, uh, World of Worlds is pretty good. I, I feel like we've now done, is this our fourth or fifth episode? Fourth episode, and I've mentioned The Edge of Tomorrow in every single episode. Uh, I really like it. It's one of my favorite alien invasion movies. Um, I really, really love Contact. I actually just rewatched it, and it is, I would say, I, I watch a lot of movies while running on the treadmill, and Contact is like the lower threshold of enough action to keep you invested in what you're watching while you're running like six or seven miles. Um, and it's it's pretty great. And you have Nell hearing things and the great Bill Fickner, who is really, I think that might have been the first time I'd ever seen Bill Fickner on screen. And he's a fabulous character actor. How, yeah. about, how about Rob Lowe as the Ralph Reed character? Rob Lowe as Ralph, right. not just no. like as little as like literally, almost literally like Ralph Reed, basically dressed as Ralph Reed. The only time Tom Skerritt has ever been bad in a movie, I think. And uh, and was a, he really bad though? Wasn't reunion, he just speaking for the rest of the world? He was world. greedy. A reunion between Jake Busey and Jodie Foster for they were together for the first time on screen since they were kids. I think. I, I, I love almost everything about that movie. Uh, when you say almost, I'm going to throw a name out there: Matthew McConaughey. Did you like him? Was he young? Sort of, young I thought he was like Joel Osteen, wasn't he? He was sort of a little a spiritual bit, yeah, a little bit. And they, they, there's a sort of a May December thing going on. It's unstated because they try to play him as older than he actually is in that movie, and 
They play Jodie Foster as younger than she actually is. Uh, it's great. This is Zemeckis at the height of his powers for me. I I really dig that. I, it's no force gump. Uh, garbage. Um, I don't know. So, But when you think about alien invasion movies, I, you have to really, I think, resegment them down into sub- sub-genres. Uh, like we were, we were laughing about this. If you go to Box Office Mojo, you can look up the rankings of Box Office by movies for the category of alien invasion. Like the, the highest grossing alien invasion movie of all time is The Avengers, which is not an alien invasion movie. Like no. Number two is The Transformers. Transformers is not really an no, alien You're talking about superheroes movies. and robots. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, I mean, there's like the insect alien movies like Starship Troopers. There are germ alien invasion movies like The Andromeda Strain. They're the humanoid alien, and uh, like I guess like the E.T. kids sort of alien. E.T. I guess is an alien invasion movie of a sort. Uh, and then there are like the the hard sci-fi movies, which are I would say Contact. I think I would count as a hard sci-fi. Uh, the Andromeda Strain probably count as hard sci-fi. Um, and I don't know. And then there, but there's something about this genre, the whole alien invasion genre, which really lends itself to the B movie. Mm. And I love, like, They Live. Yeah. They Live is great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Faculty. I think John Stewart's only feature film appearance is in The no, Faculty. No, no. He was also in Big Daddy. Is he in Big Daddy, He's, in, he's Big Daddy. He's like Adam oh, he's Sandler's, a lawyer, he's right? Adam Sandler's dick roommate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but, Who is know, the actual father? The Thing, Mars Attacks. Uh, I don't know. If we're talking alien well, invasion. Could we, are we right, allowed to broaden this Russell. out to, Kurt Russell, like, Carpenter the... Thing. Yeah, yeah. Could we broaden that out to yeah, V? Yeah, that's Alien Invasion sure. television yeah. show. Yeah, movie. which is, is for me like wait, the gold standard. V, of, v yeah, the, the 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 like one that came out in like two thousand five or six or whatever, yeah. right? That one. That the one's Marina so much Bacharin. better. Yes, yes. No. Moreno Bacharin was so good in that movie slash TV show. No, I think Jonathan and I were talking about the one. V the final battle. V the final battle. Oh I was in. We were in fifth with Michael grade. Ironside yeah, again. I've mentioned I Michael <laughs> Ironside in every podcast we've done too. And Michael Ironside playing Michael Ironside yet again. It was gripping. It took up a whole week of my fifth grade and to the point that we came in one day and everybody was just, you know, lethargic. And the teacher finally said, what, has everyone been staying up watching V, the final battle? And that actually was true. And it was at that turning point when you realized, first of all, that the aliens were not your friends. And two, uh, the woman was pregnant with alien. Do you remember the this? Alien baby. Alien the... baby. Alien baby dream sequence. Alien baby from the uh, Freddy Krueger guy. Yeah, Robert England. Right, Robert England. And, that's right. And, the, and, and she dreams. Was it Robert England of V? He was. He was. He was but alien. a nice one. He's sort he of a, a beta. V. Yes. He's a beta V. He's a beta V. Part of the fifth column led by Martin. Don't ask me the character Martin's last name, but Martin was okay. the really good alien leader so who the, led the fifth column that supported right. the that's human. Right. The, the versus ultimate. Mark Singer, who was the leader of the Rabble of the Americans. <laughs> yes. Beastmaster yes. Mark Singer. <laughs> and uh, the thing about the dream, there was a dream sequence where she imagines having the baby, and she comes out and she looks perfectly health, uh, health, healthy and happy. And then the baby opens her mouth. It's got a forked tongue. No, and it was no. watching. But then, in reality, uh, the baby was fine. And then they go, wait a minute, you have twins. And it was always a, a matter of, it's like sci-fi meets soap opera. And it was, it made it was for great. In the 80s, gripping television. So, so what you need are, you need, if you're going to have this, this prototypical alien invasion film, you need, like, the giant alien ships just appearing all over the globe, right? And they have to be enormous and sort of... Uh, opaque, you don't know, quite know what's going on. You have to be able to get establishing shots at all, like you know, one over the Taj Mahal, one over Big Ben, uh, and then you need to have some sort of, I think, 
colonization, right? This is, I guess, part of the reason Independence Day left me flat is because they just cut out the entire middle section of your classic alien invasion three-act play, where the second act would be something like, oh, we discover who the aliens are and what they want, and we're surprised by it, and then you go to act three, which is the fight. (laughs) Roland Hamburg is like, hey, dude, let's fight. You know, like we don't even like. That's it. They traveled a very long distance to pick on us and guns blasting. Right. It's Act One, straight to Act Three. This is wrong. I mean, first off, I I miss. This makes me wonder if you've even actually ever seen the movie Independence Day. They have a whole. They have one whole scene where (laughs) Bill Pullman goes in to the aliens. You know, and he's like, "Hey, what do you want?" Why can't we have peace? And the alien's like, no peace. And this is, of course, the perfect metaphor for uh, life in America in in basically all centuries. Um, and they used a virus, right, Sonny? That's how they were able to stop the, the aliens. A computer virus. They used a Mac. By Jeff Goldblum right. on a Mac book, right? They, yes. used, they used a Mac uh, to write a, a, a virus for an alien operating system, which is pretty impressive because I can't even make my Mac and my uh, PC laptop talk to each other. I was barely able to hit record on this. Uh, episode, so don't ask. Me. Yeah, that's true. We were literally in here for minutes, yes, uh, yes. folks, trying to get. Uh, you mentioned the B, the B alien invasion movies, uh, JBL, and uh, this is also one of my favorite subgenres. I think it's everyone's. Of course, you have the you have like the schlock, like Plan Nine from Outer Space, and then all of the stuff that the Mystery Science Theater three thousand guys make fun of, etc. My personal favorite in this uh, kind of subgenre is Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Killer uh, with a K, K clowns, clowns with a K. It's one of the, it's one of the uh, like campgrounds of America. The K O A. Anytime I see a word uh, that should be spelled with a C, spelled with a K, I get like some sort of weird icky uh, feelings of. Oh, there of was a Chris Christopherson Cold War television show called America with a K. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, but it's it's just so it's so fantastically bad with like evil popcorn and cotton candy that turns people into monsters. It's just I if you can find it on I think it's on Netflix. I think it's streaming on Netflix. There, there's I actually looked up a number of these movies on Netflix before. And my the one I was most taken by, I would say the 13 the year old <laughs> version of myself would have been unbelievably titillated by this. Uh, it's a 1986 film called Breeders. The tagline is, the Manhattan General Hospital has admitted a string of young women who have been raped by something otherworldly. The perpetrator only attacks women who are virgins. And the whole thing, I mean, you you should spend, this is not a... There's so many this things is not I'd a like to say, and I'm not going to say it. This is not a recommendation, but, exactly. This is not a recommendation, but it is <laughs> like the rare occasion when I, I watched like 15 minutes of this, and I thought, you know what? If I was a feminist grad student doing my Ph.D. in gender theory, you actually could get an entire dissertation out of this movie. (laughs) Like, it is kind of misogynistic crap and amazing in its own way. What what I always find fascinating about the great alien invasion movies is uh, the great ones, aliens in many cases are incidental. You know, I mean, they're they're, they're important to keep the movie uh, rolling, but in many ways uh, the movie is more of a reflection of humanity, as you mentioned mm. with Arrival. What does it say about us? And you think about War of the Worlds, the Tom Cruise Spielberg War of the Worlds. What does it say about sort of mob mentality in, in moments? Well, who's of, the, what's the scariest scene in that movie? Oh, The when, one with Tim Robbins. With Tim Robbins, yeah. right. Yeah. Well, the aliens are much less scary than Tim Yeah, Robbins. I was also going to say when uh, one person had a gun and everyone wanted the car, and the mob is surrounding the car. Terrifying. And there's no aliens in that either. Uh, and so what does, it, you know, what does it say about them? And so uh, for me... 
uh, I always thought uh, one of the scariest alien invasion movies of all time was Invasion of the Body Snatchers from uh, 1978. Yes. Not the not the one from uh, 1956. That was with Kevin McCarthy, although he makes an appearance in the 1978 version. Uh, in the Invasion of the Body Snatchers with Donald Sutherland and uh, Brooke Adams, uh, the aliens, again, they're not like they, they land in different places with spaceships and then guns blasting and then a war happens. They, 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 they appear as, as spores and in the dust. It's in the air in pods. And, and it, it begins to affect how you know, people are behaving. And what turns out is people are going to sleep and they've been infected by these spores. And then they get surrounded by these pods and then they wake up and they're still human, but they're no longer them. Their soul is gone. But the aliens are now using them as a host body, and there's no more. They, it strips them away of all emotion. And so the main actors in the movie, everywhere they're turning to, people are like, you know, so-and-so is acting so differently lately. You know, and the guy at the dry cleaners is acting different lately. All of a sudden, it's your best friend, and then it's your husband, and then you have nowhere to go. Uh, one of the it's great a movie about capitalism. Yes, maybe. It, well, you know, the original Body uh, Snatchers movie was uh, the Cold War allegory about you know who amongst you can we trust? Right, right. You know, but but in, in 1978, it works as both pro it does and work anti. As both yes, yes, it does. Exactly right. but, and, and and the thing is, it had a, a happier ending. Uh, the 1956 version, uh, the 1978 version, which is very reflective of the year 1978, is really not a happy ending. And I saw this as a kid. And uh, that was one of the first times you realized that not every movie has a happy ending, mm. and it's horrific. And I'm yeah. not going to say how it ends. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, you can it, spoil movies that are 40 years old. Yeah, Maybe. I think well, there's, there's a statute of limitations There's on a this. long scene at the very end because you know, the only people who survived managed to stay awake. It's very much like um, uh, Freddy Krueger, Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. Don't go to sleep. Yeah. And Donald Sutherland is acting like an automaton, and he's going through, in order to blend in, with the other aliens, he's able to do all his different things and go with the crowd. He go up into an elevator out, and then he's standing out in the middle of the square in San Francisco. And the woman, his friend, uh, she shows up, and she survived. She survived too, and so she sees him, and she starts, you know, crying in tears of joy. Thank God, we both made it. And Donald Sutherland just looks at her, and then the last thing he says is he opens his mouth, and this alien noise comes out of his mouth, and he points at her, because they're all pointing and ratting around, and she screams, and that freeze-frame scream, and it's over. That's the end. Yeah. I will be honest. This is a, a big confession I'm about to make. I've never actually seen any of the Invasion of the Body Snatchers movies. I've never... I am embarrassed. And it's... I mean, I know what they're about, and I've you know read the summaries, and I've even used GIFs on Twitter uh, of the Donald Sutherland pointing. That's and, terrible. And, you know, you got to see is, it now. But I now, but I like I. You know, the problem is I don't. I I feel like I've already seen it because I yeah. just gave away the ending. Now That's I great. you no, spoiled it for you me. You have to see. Jeez. You know who was also in this movie is Leonard Jeez. Nimoy. Leonard Nimoy's in the in the movie, and he's the voice of reason. That's right. So they always say, oh, to- turn to Doc so-and-so because he's like this expert psychologist and he can explain everything logically, rationally, and then eventually, you know, he changes and then he actually explains on, on behalf of the aliens. Uh, and he has this line and he says, he says, we came here from a dying world. We drift through the universe from planet to planet, pushed on by the solar winds. And that's all you needed to know. You know what I mean? And it's coming to, and that's all they do, and, and their whole point is how is that any wait, how is that any more explanatory than what they say what they do on Independence Day? It's the same thing. Well, he says we adapt and we survive. The function is survival. They, we don't know what's going on in Independence Day. In Independence Day, they're, no, they're just they're mining the earth they're from no, all this of is its different. No, Independence Day is an action movie. This is a thriller. That, this is, that's these right. are, these but you know what? I'll, I'll, I'm going to top you right now. Okay. What, what have you not 
sci-fi movie I have not seen. Avatar. Oh, wow. Look, they just passed out. I am now alone in the studio. Thank you. I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, frankly, you're not really missing out really? on that much. It was like the greatest, no. biggest movie of all time, wasn't it? Well, just it? because it grossed a lot of money doesn't make it mean it was good. Yeah. The, the uh, cultural, I feel so much better now. The cultural footprint of Avatar is about, like, three inches big. I mean, it, it, it left no mark. <laughs> I'll tell you, Jonathan, what culture. turned me off. Was, <laughs> do, you, do you disagree? That's what she said. Uh, no, uh, I no, you're totally right. I mean, I, like, I couldn't name a single line. I couldn't recite a single line from that movie. I can't really think of an image from the film other than, like, the Smurfs going, ah, when their tree gets blown up by the heroes of the film, the, uh, the, marine, the, humans. the marine humans who are trying to get the unobtainium. The unobtainium. That is the mineral they're trying to well, get. Well, that's the thing, Sonny. The unobtainium. That was what sort of turned me off. I didn't like the idea of humans as the bad guys in this whole sort of But they're of not the bad guys. They're the good an guys. environmental lecture. Right. I just I mean, didn't want that. I, I have to say, so there was a, it circulated, wow, like three years before the movie came out, an early version of a scriptment. So not a script, but like a 60-page Cameron treatment of the script. And it was amazing, actually. It was much more hardcore. It was a. It was much more hard sci-fi, actually. And I read that years before the movie came out, and I was like, wow, this is awesome. This is going to be great. And then the movie, this is one of the rare occasions where Cameron seems to have made a worse movie than he set out to make. Uh, but it was, I would say, it, it was worth seeing in the theaters on a giant IMAX screen just to see technically what he did. Yeah. Did you IMAX see it in 3D? 3D? Yeah, I, it is. No. It is one of the few. He one of the handful the of movies. He invented yeah. the technology to do that. It, it was an amazing achievement. Uh, frankly, I forget what won Best Picture that year, but I would have been fine if it had won Best Picture solely because what he was doing was creating an economic lifeline for his the industry. Hurt yeah, the Hurt Locker. Oh come on, the Hurt, the Hurt Locker. Locker was much better than Avatar. Yeah. Well, but as in terms of importance for for the industry. I would say oh, Avatar is much more important. Yeah. But anyway, but as a as a piece of like narrative, as a piece of storytelling, it is utterly inconsequential. Do you find that the special effects are dated looking now or no? Yes. I haven't I seen it since I saw it in the theater. I, I would say this is a movie that probably nobody ever yeah. watches on home video yeah, because no. it, you have to see it on a giant IMAX screen. I, I will say that I have flipped by it on like FX or HBO or something, and I, I watched maybe two or three minutes of it, and I'm like, and don't, keep going. Don't, but it, it don't the aliens it, cry when they hunt the animals that they eat? Oh, probably. I don't know. And they plug into the I animals, know. yes? Okay. Well, no, they plug into the earth. They plug into the trees? I don't know. Yeah. How about you, Jonathan? Something you have Maybe they do plug into the animals. Yeah, when they're like yeah. flying, mm-hmm. when they're flying the animals. Or to reproduce. Who I knows? don't know. How about, how about you, Jonathan? I, I know I'm known as, to the extent that I'm known anywhere, as the big Defense of the Empire guy. I have never seen Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> I All just read time. the Wikipedia entry. And wow. I, wow. You heard it here you. first, folks. Wow. No, no so you know, it's actually more embarrassing than that. Uh, I don't. Th- I was thinking about this. I don't think I have ever seen two thousand and one. I'm. It's possible that I saw it as like such a little kid that I, there was no reason I should have been seeing it as like a six year old or something. But I. I don't believe I've ever seen that. And you, as a Kubrick super yeah. fan, are probably yeah. pretty pissed about this. I, uh, I've sat through Barry Lyndon, God help me, but not two thousand and one. Yes, I, Sunny Bunch, Kubrick super fan, denounce thee. Jonathan V. Last. Uh, no, I, 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 2001 is one of those movies that um, I'm actually, as a Kubrick superfan, I'm actually okay if most people don't see it at home. I'm, I'm okay if you don't watch 2001 A Space Odyssey on your, on your, even on your like 50 inch plasma. Um, to be clear, if I saw this movie, 
I saw it on a 20-inch yeah. curved right, glass right. standard no, so, definition So this is th- the first time I saw it, I saw it on a, a in one of my friend's basement off a VHS that we got from Blockbuster uh, that was about as big as... Uh, but use your hands. Six, That'll help the listeners six inch. I'm trying to... I'm measuring out. It's about a, about a, maybe a 12-inch uh, Subway sandwich. Um, if you think that's 12 inches. Oh, right. geez. Uh, uh, but uh, you have to see it. You have to see it. And we are fortunate enough to live in a city, Washington, D.C., that has a very good repertory theater, the AFI Silver. Yes, I um, love that place. They show 70-millimeter screenings of uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey. It is worth taking an evening, uh, ditching the family, and going and just kind of sitting. That sounds great. That and, sounds like something I'm and, allowed to do. And enjoying the the big, immersive screen. Because it really it plays much, much differently with the giant booming sound system, with the... Uh, uh, with the huge spaceships kind of cartwheeling through space, set what? to the set to the 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 kind of ballet music, it looks like a dance. It's very, it's a much much different film, and I I strongly recommend it. With the exception, I saw this as well at at a time when I thought I wanted to knock off as many AFI films on their top 100 in the when they came out in I guess 2000 about the you know top 100 films of the century and I figured you know I wanted to make my way through that and so I ended up renting it as well there's a whole stretch there Sonny of of uh 2001 where you're just going through this dimension mm-hmm. and it's is visual psychedelic journey if you will and i think it it goes on for like five or ten minutes and i actually hit the fast forward button and it was still going on for a long time you know i surrounded by never looked more disgusted sonny surrounded fast forward on a kubrick's movie (laughs) jesus you know what i'm talking you know that scene i'm talking about yes i know i have to sit through that colors and noise once again once again this is another scene that works much better on the big screen when you're when you're frankly tripping balls i was gonna say when you're when you're tripping balls uh, it's much, it's much, much better. Can I, before okay. we, are we going to leave uh, Alien movies here shortly, or are we still going to talk about it? Because before we leave no, it, no, I actually please. did some shoe leather reporting for this oh, segment. Please, uh, say your Ugh. piece. So I went and talked with the great Paul Cantor. Paul Cantor, who some listeners may know as the genius professor of Shakespeare at the University of Virginia. Did you ever take classes with him? I did not, unfortunately. I did Boy, not. That is a huge loss. Look, I, it's one of my many regrets. So uh, listeners who uh, might be out there who have not, go out and buy a copy of his first book, Gilligan Unbound, because it has the single greatest pop culture and politics essay ever written, which is called Shakespeare in the Original Klingon, which is about the Cold War and Star Trek, and it's just unbelievably awesome. Uh, But he wrote a recently, more recently, a collection of essays called The Invisible Hand of Popular Culture, and he has an entire chapter on alien invasion movies. So I reached out to him and talked to him a little bit about it. And he says that the key movie in all of this is actually Mars Attacks. Because so what happens in the 50s and 60s, the alien invasion movies were, as we said, largely about the commies. And then beginning the 90s with the X-Files, uh, it all became about the problem that was it was already us. It was the government. And it became this globalization and the American fears of globalization and conspiracy theories. Uh, and then Mars Attacks comes out. And it is the rebuttal to this because the elites in Mars Attacks are not the ones with the answers. It's all the it's like the rednecks and the people out there who are decentralized. And it is a sort of populist response to the concerns about globalism and elite manipulation of the American culture. And uh, and that's what Paul Cantor says. And he's smarter than we are. So I thought I would pass it on. Mars attacks is great. 
it's pretty funny. Uh, Mars Attacks it, is great. It, it, I, no, it's a little I, dark. Well, it is kind of it dark, is very, right? And well, it's, it's a weird and, and, tonal juxtaposition and, 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 of how funny and bubblegummy yeah. the colors are. Then with the weird aliens who almost have like a minion esque like gag thing to them. Yeah. Then with like how dark it becomes, and it also it's another one of these movies that is like very kind of of its moment where you have Martin Short as basically the George Stephanopoulos type character. Yes, um, and you know, uh, please go ahead. No, I was going to say there's one great for me with Mars Attacks. Uh, it's not my favorite, but there is one very memorable scene, and uh, that is uh, with uh, Sarah Jessica Parker. And I believe it was Michael J. Fox. Yes, and they're together in this, yes. right? And and they're reading. They're in their New York loft, reading the newspapers about after the, the Martian landing. And Michael J. Fox is reading the New York Times, and it's a, a very fuzzy black and white uh, photo with a very staid headline that says, "Of you know, sides of art, sides of alien intelligence, you know, explaining about this arrive at Earth." And then you see Sarah Jessica Parker reading the New York Post, and all it says is Martians! <laughs> exclamation point, you know? And I thought that was just perfect. Yeah. That was yeah. perfect. Do we have corrections, gentlemen? Corrections or clarifications? Uh, from friend of the show, Adam White, he corrects. He says that Arch Campbell was actually had been at ABC prior to being at NBC. So I was not entirely incorrect when I guessed Arch Campbell of He's ABC. been around forever, and I guess I shouldn't have been surprised that he's made the rounds. God bless him. Um, I, I was going to uh, mention a clarification, which is um, my love for the original Superman and, and, and my love for the original Superman uh, really <clears throat> ends at the end of of the movie. So I thought it was going great and I thought the story was great. It was written by Mario Puzo. And then they had the situation where there's two MX missiles going in different directions. I just want to hear more about your love Superman, love for Superman. Love for Superman. Your the love movie, for the Superman. So for the Superman and the the MX missiles are going in different directions. And Superman has to has only enough time to uh, detour one of them. And so he ha- he's sorry. a man of his word, and he chooses the he one that hits the He can fly fast enough to reverse time itself. Well, this is what happens. So he was able to deflect one missile, and when that happens, simultaneously, the other one hits the San Andreas Fault, which is a much bigger cataclysm, I think, than Weehawken. And uh, his only solution to that, because he loses Lois Lane in the process, is to reverse time. Well, if you reverse time, doesn't everything just repeat itself again? I just, I, I, they lost me on that. That movie was bad, and you're bad for defending it. Okay. Yes. Thank you. Uh, Sonny, you're fine. You have nothing else to, uh, yet again, once again, perfect. Once again, perfect. Yeah, perfect yeah, score. 4-0. Get the gold star. Now, uh, as, as readers know, uh, this week, this is also our Thanksgiving, uh, special Thanksgiving episode. Supersized. Yes. And so uh, we would like to take some time uh, to uh, talk, first of all, uh, in, in a sort of getting us in a Thanksgiving uh, mindset. Uh, about first of all, what do we uh, what do we like eating for Thanksgiving? When you it's for me, Thanksgiving is the, my favorite holiday of the year, and more more so than Christmas. I kid you not. I enjoyed my mother's cooking back in the day, and uh, we uh, you know and, and I love eating. And in fact, midway through that Thanksgiving meal, when I'm beginning to feel full, that's when I start getting more melancholy and sad because I know it's going to be over, and then I can't stuff any more food in my mouth, and it's very sad. And then it's over again for another year. Um, uh, but what about you guys? What do you look forward to? I you want to go first, Sonny? Sure, you go first. sure. I'll go first. Uh, my favorite side dish uh, at Thanksgiving is the green bean casserole. Wow, green beans, French cut, of course. 
uh, with the cream of mushroom soup, and you heat it up. Straight from the can. Oh, God, yes. I mean, uh, you mix it all up, and then you put it in the stove, and then in like 20 minutes later, you put the onion topping on top, and it crisps. Oh, it's so good. The onion topping. I look is forward the most, to it all year. The onion topping, I would agree, is the most important. Gotta part. have that onion topping. Have it. I had. I once heard a story. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, who is a, a dirty, dirty liberal, uh, told me that she was dining with a bunch of other dirty, dirty liberals, and one of them explained how they were making a, a kind of a locally sourced green bean casserole with fresh green beans and and like homemade cream of mushroom soup, and it made me want to retch in my mouth. I was like, that's that's against the whole point. This is like a two dollar dish. Now, I want you it are, mushy. I don't want yeah. firm. I want mushy. Uh, Jonathan, how about you? You know, it's funny. I was I was putting together a definitive Sagarin ranking of Thanksgiving foods, and I came my after my calculations, my extensive research and, and data. Uh, mining on this. Green beans are tied with yams and sweet potatoes as the most overrated foods. It's just a fact. Science. Uh, No, so look, I mean, everybody knows Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving, also my favorite of all the holidays, uh, begins with the Macy's Day Parade. You have pancakes while you watch the Macy's Day Parade. Uh, You look at all the balloons, Santa's at the end. It's the best. Uh, Are you clothed when you watch this? uh, Only in pajamas. Right, you can't put real clothes on until no. after Santa appears at okay. the, Mace, the end of the Macy's Day Parade. Um, That's in the Constitution, actually. It ought to be. Yes. Uh, so I would say everything is about the cranberries for Thanksgiving dinner. <sighs> uh, everything is simply about a, a delivery mechanism for cranberries. And you have to have real cranberry sauce. It cannot be the jellied cranberry that comes in the shape of a can. The shape, you can see you the can ridges. See the line. I like that. that no, does not you're count. saying that's wrong? And so what you need is you need stuffing, real stuffing. Although in this case, I actually like the stovetop. Yeah, stovetop stove is the only acceptable is stuffing. Outstanding. No, is everything I'm, everything I'm else is everything after. else is nonsense. Mm-mm, mm-mm. But the that you're, base, edited, you're going to be edited out. The Ugh. base of all of this Stalin over is the tofurkey. And the tofurkey. I mean, look, nobody actually likes real turkey. Right now, Sonny and I are just looking at each other, and we nobody we're ready to pull the plug. This, this is very much an Arrested Development fourth wall breaking moment where Victor and I have uh, <laughs> totally checked out of what's being said. Yeah, here, let me just disconnect the, this. the podcast. Because we're horrified. We just heard word. Tofurkey is the best. You know, right. that that really is a Hillary's America kind of a meal. My you God. Know? This is yeah. not. It, it trumps can America. We, first There's of all, no can, we, can we just acknowledge that Jonathan's defense of tofurkey, which is not a thing. It's just not. A, that's a nonsense thing. Uh, completely invalidates his vicious broadside against green beans and yams, but also uh, should highlight the fact that the fact that he likes cranberries makes cranberries totally awful and garbage. And he, frankly, he just disqualified I've, the cranberries. I've, cranberries I have always ignored as a dish on Thanksgiving. I let them sit there and rot. I would rather I would rather eat nothing than cranberries. I will no, have the, so I'll have the cranberries in your life. The fact the fact that you like cranberries and tofurkey just makes me want to be greatest, ill. The greatest thing ever. Ill. I love tofurkey so much I can't even tell. You. For okay, days please afterwards, don't tell us that. Don't tell I make us. tofurkey sandwiches. My God, tofurkey. You know That's what? not even a thing. I like to think that, of all the happy be... little turkeys uh, running around in the woods uh, free because I chose you know not what? to order uh, them. You know, you know where they drink. You, you know where they eat tofurkey? They eat tofurkey in America with a K. That's where they eat it. Yes. No, but my favorite part America of Thanksgiving K-K-K. is the stuffing. And my mother makes a terrific one. She learned it from her neighbor uh, who, whose brother is a French chef. And so this is a real stuffing. So this is not any of the breading and anything like that. It involves, because it's French, it'll involve chestnuts, ground pork loin, celery, 
cooked together inside the bird. It beats the stuffing out of stuffing. I kid you not. I'm surrounded by the most un-American people I've ever... Tofurky on the one hand, tofurky on the one hand, and French stuffing on the other. This is... America, save me! (laughs) Save me! Meat is murder. (laughs) Okay, let's talk about another important thing about Thanksgiving, something that we don't look forward to. Many of us travel. We go on the roads. Millions of people, you know, travel... Millions and millions. millions. They always interview some guy from AAA who talks about the gazillion people who are on the road. And so as a service to our loyal listeners, we here at the Weekly Substandard would like to provide you a list of our favorite rest stops. Now, this sounds like a Jim McGreevy survey, but it's not. (laughs) I'm sorry. You park all the way at the end and you flash your lights three times. You know who I am. I hope the state trooper doesn't show up. Okay, so so, uh, Jonathan, why don't we start with you? You're a Jersey guy. You've traveled up and down the I-95 corridor. I have traveled to all 50 American states, uh, and I can tell you that New Jersey honestly does have the finest rest stops in the land. not bad in Maryland. Not bad. We have two rest stops in Maryland, the Maryland House, the Chesapeake House. When I was a child, the Maryland House used to have a vending machine that spit out comic books. That was like the greatest thing ever. You put 50 cents into it, it just spit a comic book out at you at random. Uh, that is long since gone. Uh, you can now at the Delaware rest stop, which has been recently renovated in the last couple of years, they have a Baja Fresh, which is pretty good, uh, as well, I believe, as a Phillips or maybe that's at the Maryland House where they also have oh, Phillips. You can get some crab cakes, Phillips seafood, which is pretty good. Um, but otherwise, you go down to North Carolina, you get these bizarre garbage rest stops where all you do is you pull off and it's like toilets and vending machines. You go up to New York State, like the Sawmill Parkway, and the rest stops are literally you just pull off the parkway where the cars are still whipping past you. You run inside, and it's like being in a tiny convenience store. That's the same as the Merritt Parkway in Connecticut. Yeah, exactly. So, But you go to New Jersey, and whether you are at Cheesequake on the Garden State Parkway, the greatest name of any, any rest stop anywhere. Love Cheesequake. Or on one of the Many amazing New Jersey Turnpike rest stops: Woodrow Wilson, Richard Stockton, Grover Cleveland, James Fenwick. There, are, there are so many of them. My two favorites: Molly Pitcher and <laughs> Joyce Kilmer. Yeah, yeah, Joyce Kilmer was my home rest stop, as I, I like to think of it. And they're they're just great. They, I don't you even have know a Sabaro, who she is. You have a you have a Savaro. You have a Cinnabon. You maybe have a TCBY frozen yogurt. Starbucks now, many of them, they pump your gas for you. So if it's a cold and oh, rainy no. Thanksgiving night, oh. for cheaper than you pay in oh a communist God. place like Maryland or We're DC providing or jobs. New Jersey providing jobs. Sunny. Jobs. It's just it's the best. Sunny, do you have Vic, uh, do you, Vic, you, yes. Vic, why don't you, why don't why don't you I name go into your, this? You name your All right. Well, I was first, my first thought was, you know, I don't want to give away what my favorite rest stop is because I don't want everyone to know the little secret of where I like to go because then everyone will go there. And so I thought I'll just do a little, little misdirection and just recommend everybody go to Molly Pitcher because nobody ever goes to that rest stop. Exit 8 on the New Jersey Turnpike, always very quiet and clean. Uh, my other thought is if you're heading up 95 North, um, for me, I'll probably get off at James Fenimore Cooper, perhaps. <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> or Fenwick. Or Fen- so I'll, I'll get off there. Isn't there a Nathaniel Hawthorne there somewhere too? But I know there's Cooper. Cooper's there. And and if you don't go there and you're heading your way, then you gotta hold it all the way to Connecticut, okay? Because there's no oh, other good one. You gotta hold it. Don't go to Vince Lombardi. You know, it's Daddy's not stopping there. the car. Wait, what's, wrong with, what's, what's wrong with the Vince Lombardi? Lombardi? Oh, it's a messy it's just a mob seat. Same that, thing with the right, Connecticut Welcome isn't it, Center. But isn't it insane that New Jersey 
<laughs> it's a rest stop name. It's like, yeah, we have people. no good football in the state of New Jersey. We want to appropriate something. Vince Lombardi's a great guy. He spent five minutes in the state once upon a time. Let's name Let's a rest name stop after, after him. We'll after. So, if you're going south, my actual thought is this, which is, you know, the best places to go are not actually rest stops. You know, get off at one of the local towns like Belcamp, Maryland, which is exit 80 on 95 South in Maryland. Then you get to avoid all the bad rush at Maryland House or Chesapeake House. There's a, you know, in Belcamp, the town, it's very close to the interstate. They've got McDonald's, Burger King. There's even an Arby's, so that's my advice. My God. This is the worst, most D.C. slash New York slash New Jersey slash Maryland-centric uh, 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 segment of the show of all time. That being said, that being said, uh, my favorite rest stop is in none of these garbage states that you, you guys just mentioned. It's uh, exit 140? Off, no, exit 130. Exit, exit 130 off of uh, uh, I-95 in Virginia, uh, where there's a Wawa and a Burger King. And that's literally all you need at a rest stop. No, I'll give you props. I mean, for my Wawa. God, Wawa my God, is a Jersey thing. This Good this whole that. this whole rest stop obsession that you New Jersey people have is totally fascinating to me. It's bizarre. It's weird and fascinating. It's, when are they going to? My my one real question about the New Jersey rest stop ridiculous system is when are they going to uh, rename one of the rest stops after New Jersey's greatest native son, Bruce Springsteen? That is a very good question because, you know, they haven't gotten to Springsteen yet for whatever reason. But as you know, uh, at one of the rest stops, there's a Howard Stern bathroom. Did you know this? No. Yes. Howard Stern had Chris Christie, uh, not Chris Christie, uh, 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 Governor Christie, uh, Christine Todd Whitman, rather. Excuse me. Christine Todd Whitman. um, uh, He had her on the show and he made, he said, if I vote for you. You know, will you uh, name a rest stop after me? And she uh, made a compromise and named a men's room uh, somewhere on the uh, New Jersey Turnpike after Howard Stern. How is that not illegal? How is that not bribery? Oh, you know. New Jersey, terrible. Let's let's move on. I want to talk about quickly the spirit of the week. Uh, This week we got a good one. Uh, It's Bullet Rye. You know, Bullet was uh, Bullet was resurrected. Um, I went there uh, with the Distilled Spirits Council in 2015. Uh, it's a beautiful renovated facility at the old Stitzel Weller Distillery in Shively, Kentucky. Um, there's a sign on the door, by the way, there. I took a picture of it, and it says, We make fine bourbon at a profit if we can, at a loss if we must, but always fine bourbon. And to that I say, God bless. It's really interesting. Rye, uh, since 2009, has now increased in demand by more than 536%. Mm. Everybody wants rye for all their cocktails. Um, and uh, that is our uh, spirit of the week. So how did you like it, Sonny? Oh, uh, I am a big fan of the bullet rye. The bullet rye and the dickel rye are basically one and two uh, in some order on my, my rye rankings. Oh, you don't know dickel. Okay. Can you get Sorry. dickel rye at one of the New Jersey rest stops? Yes. The Molly Pitcher one, probably. My smear of ice over here is fantastic, by the way. Which flavor are you drinking? Lemon. Oh, <laughs> That's a good one. You should try the passion fruit next episode. Um, That is, I believe, all the time we have for this week's episode of the Weekly Substandard. Yes. Uh, Tweet us your questions, complaints, or compliments at Victorina Mattis at Study Bunch at... Don't bother tweeting me. (laughs) Everyone tweet at JBL. By the way, you know, we've got a new fancy logo and all, and we are now on our own on iTunes. Yes? iTunes. So you can go to iTunes separately. Just type in weekly substandard, and there we are. Uh, So until next time, happy Thanksgiving. That was great.
you know, it's it's good that we're uh, the rest up jokes are really it's it really work. It's good that we're we're telling people to go to the weekly substandard at iTunes. Uh, right now at the end of the episode after they've listened to the whole thing. They don't have any idea. It's the yeah. payoff. After, they've closed, the payoff. after they closed <laughs> this 20 minutes ago when we were going on about Tofurky. Oh, I was afraid if I mentioned the beginning they'd be turned off. God, tofu's so good. Oh, my God. So I told you uh, the big news for my weekend is I finally got a Blu-ray player in the year 2016. Nice. It's so exciting. Good to nice. play. And, and it has access. I would have given you my HD DVD player like years ago if you had asked me. Do you still have your Divix player? That's what I want to know. I skipped Divix. That was for commies. Yeah, oh, Divix was, was garbage. Good, tall, good, I still tall. have my HD DVD player, though. Yeah, I, I believe it. Didn't, didn't I Jonathan watch... convince you, Sonny, to get an HD DVD player? That Maybe. sounds like something Jonathan would do. <clears throat> no, I, I, still, I still have it so I can watch uh, Blade Runner. I watch it once a year, and that's literally the only thing I watch. And you watch Casablanca, right, on HD DVD. I used to. Yeah. HD DVD is just superior to Blu-ray in every way. It's one of these things like the Betamax. No, No, this is actually wrong. It's the opposite. HD DVD, people thought it would win because it was cheaper. No, no, it was more expensive. And better. Uh, it, It lost because of just corporate backing. Yeah, the corporate money was all with... Right. with anyway, I've been watching Netflix. Amazon is very exciting. Oh, and you found that you can get Netflix streamed to your, to wow. your TV box? I don't even know what wow. streaming is, but you know what? But the ha- but here's the problem. Then it stops like every five minutes. Oh, got you a know, buffer. You know, you and Matt Labash are the only person, uh, the only people in the world that I know who still get actual discs delivered to them No from more. Netflix. No, 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 no. So I cancel that. Now I'm on this new thing. Where it, you know, without any connection to wires, it just travels through the air. Wow! Can you control like your Blu-ray player with your flip phone? <laughs> with my BlackBerry, yes. And so I'm watching Stranger Things. I finished that oh, some terrific yeah. show. Well, what's that? We can't. Uh, not you got to watch it, and then we'll talk about it. It's one of the greatest TV shows of all time. Okay. You know what you would probably say about Stranger Things if outtakes. you watched it? Those were the outtakes. Those are the We're outtakes. We're still doing the outtakes. Yeah. I was trying to set up the punchline for the outtakes. Which was? Do you know what you would? Say about Stranger Things if you saw it, JBL. I'm sure it's fine. Uh, 